Coming up next, the Lookening watches what, Brandon? The, the big, big chill. The big chill. The big chill. It's Nathan Abbas from your humble and obedient host, joining you for another episode of The Lookening, maybe the fourth episode ever of The Lookening. What have we done so far, boys, for The Lookening? Oh, man, we've did that one. Murder yeah. on the Orient Express. That's right. That was M the very first. the O-D. Shadowland. I was still calling it The Watchening back then, but good old Danny M, DM. The Watchman, who will watch The Watchman. We have not watched The Watchman. No, we haven't. S. We've watched SL. that. SL. SL, sure, yeah. Old R-O-D. R-O-D, R-O-D, R-O-D. of the day. R-P-O. R-P-O. W-I-T. We watched that. Wrinkle in time. Yes, yeah. so this is not our fourth. This is uh, like our sixth. Does Macbeth count? Jake and, uh, what's my name? Nathan watched a couple um, <laughs> Macbeths. We talked about Pride and Prejudice movies. Yeah, Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, this is not the fourth looking Nathan. This is like the 20th or something. Well, I'm not going to count any of that Austin stuff. We have to have actually dedicated an episode to it. So that means, so this is number seven. For a literature podcast, we do a lot of movies. Well, we, we went to four episodes a month. We got to fill some time somehow. So this is number seven. What is the worst movie we've watched? There's a question for you guys. What's the Oh boy. That or Wrinkle in Time. Eh, Wrinkle in Time might be worse. Oh, yeah. Between Murder on the Orient Express, Wrinkle in Time, Ready Player One, and Fahrenheit 451. If you could take that list if you and on the say, same... I never want to see this movie ever again in my life. Like you just eliminate it from history? You just eliminate it from history. Wrinkle in Time. Wrinkle in Time. I, Wrinkle I never want to see Oprah's large face being flown around again. Wrinkle in Time was the most boring. I mean, for Fahrenheit 451 was vaguely interesting and it's weirdness and badness and Michael Shannon's always fun. I mean, I got to say the one that bored me the the most was remains of the day did not click yeah, with that movie I, at all i'm just gonna be honest i know I, it's I, we've not actually watched a good movie is that gonna change <laughs> we'll find out that's a good hook for the episode which one would you guys most like to watch again if i had to choose one to watch again probably shadowlands yeah or ready player one i'd say those would be the two for me probably ready player one over shadowlands actually i can see watching it'd be either ready, ready player I can, one I can or murder see... on the orient express yeah, 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 I could see watching Murder on the Orient Express with nah. Alyssa when she gets older. Nah, it's a slog. And having fun. That's a snooze, man. Yeah. Who wants to watch Ready, uh, Murder on the Orient Express Or again? I could see watching Ready Player One with the kids when they get older, too. Ready Player One would be the most fun. I mean... I mean, I like yeah. Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of C.S. Lewis, though, so... The problem, with, got the, the problem with Ready Player One is that you're not going to get to see it in theaters again. But I still think it's the one that I'd most want to watch, uh, certainly over Murder on the Orient Express. That thing was a snooze. Um, hey, Nathan, this might be the biggest disagreement the bookending has ever had. Really? I think I would watch Murder on the Orient Express before I would watch Ready Player One. Really? Yeah. You want to see the ballet guy do kung fu again? Yeah. You want to see Kenny B wax his mustache again? You yeah. know what? You remember those details. What do you remember detail-wise about Ready Player One? Chucky. It had Chucky. <laughs> I submit to you, only one movie on this list has Chucky. <laughs> that would be <laughs> Ready Player true. One. We watched The Big Sleep, the movie. I thought it, we were supposed to watch The Big Chill. Nope. That's what I watched. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Nope. Jeff Goldblum dances and... Hey, we didn't actually watch The Big Chill, though. That was a silly thing that Jake said. We watched The Big Sleep. What what version? Did we watch the Robert Mitchum version, guys? No. Did we watch... I don't know if there's another version. Did we watch the Humphrey Bogart version? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, what did we think about it? Did this break the looking curse in that we've never actually watched an entirely successful movie that we've been happy with on this show before? I enjoyed <laughs> it as a movie in itself. I like Humphrey Bogart. Brennan, your thoughts? 
I like Humphrey Bogart, but I think this movie, I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. I watched it with my wife. Mm-hmm. She liked it. Did you guys hold hands? At one point, yeah. At one point? Yeah. Oh, very nice. To make my two-year-old jealous. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Did, um, did you watch this movie with your wife? Nope. Did you hold hands? With myself, watch. maybe at certain points. It's mm. kind of scary at points. My big takeaway from the movie, my my immediate impression, this movie sanitized the grit and the grime of the noir world mm-hmm. of the book, but added some weird sexual overtones that the book didn't have, mm-hmm. and therefore lost the moral weight of the book mm-hmm. while making it purely Hollywood dream fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. There we go. Thank you for listening to The Booking. Yeah. I uh, like this movie as far as it goes. It's a good Bogart movie. It's not a good Raymond Chandler movie, I don't think. It completely loses any of the weight or respectability or dignity of Marlowe's character. It's basically just a fantasy movie about how sexy Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall are together. And there's some pretty interesting history to this movie, which I guess I can give, which is that it was actually partially reshot to include most of the obnoxious scenes with Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall was not a big star when this movie started shooting. She was an ingenue who appeared on a cover, I think, of Harper's Bazaar. I might have that wrong. She appeared on a magazine cover. And Howard Hawks, the famous director, saw her. Howard Hawks, if you don't know, is the director that Leonard Malton once said, he's the best director who's not a household name. He's not John Ford. He's not Steven Spielberg. He's not somebody you've heard of, but he's the best that you haven't heard of. Great director from that first half of cinema history did Bringing Up Baby. Did the did did the John Wayne movies that you like that aren't by John Ford? Yeah, he did Rio Bravo, the best John Wayne movies that aren't by John Ford, which are Rio Bravo and El Dorado, a particular sentimental favorite of yep. mine. Other westerns that are sort of classics like Red Red River. Red River is a popular. I've actually never seen Red River, but it's a big popular movie that it's apparently the first movie where John Wayne gave John Ford watched that movie and said, "I never knew John Wayne could act until I saw him in Red River. I knew he was a star, and I liked him to have him in my movies." But yeah, yeah. What else did he do? Bringing Up Baby, Only Angels Have Wings is a pretty popular Cary Grant movie. His Girl Friday, one of the great Cary Grant movies. He did His Girl Friday? Yeah, which is... Famous Marilyn Monroe movie. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, of course, includes the great Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friends, arguably her most famous... Well, no, not her most famous moment. Her most famous moment would be the grating blowing up her dress in Seven Year Itch, but only second to that, or second only to that. What am I trying to say? Second to that only. Did that sentence work? Second to that only, sure. Yeah. Second of that only is Diamonds Are Girls' Best oh. Friend. One of, the favorite, one of the famous uh, Cooper films. Sergeant York, of Sergeant course. Sergeant York. Yep. I, didn't, I didn't realize he did all these. He did Bringing Up Baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a versatile, did comedies, dramas, really famous for a couple things. Famous for overlapping dialogue, and the most famous example of that is His Girl Friday, which is the fastest moving dialogue movie you've ever seen in your life, and it's wonderful, and it's poetry, and I love it. Famous for having a very sophisticated, modern view of women. You'll notice that in his movies, now I don't know if I agree with this, but I'm just saying this is what he's famous for, whether I like it or not. In his movies, the women are almost always the, I want to say predators, but that's not right. They're the ones that are taking the aggressors. lead. Aggressors. They're the aggressors. In the sexual relationship, in the in the dance, in the mating dance, they're the ones that are taking the lead. So you'll notice that Humphrey Bogart doesn't have to do a thing in the big sleep, and every woman is after him. And you could say it's a James Bondy kind of thing, like where he's just so cool that all the women want to throw themselves. But there's also a sense in which Lauren Bacall is really the one calling the shots. Bogart's just, at least this is what the critics say. I don't know whether I agree with it. But uh, Rio Bravo is a famous movie where Angie Dickinson is throwing herself at John Wayne. I think Howard Hawks, if I may 
be Dr. Freud. He really liked the idea that I, as a man, don't have to do anything. The woman's going to be the one who's going to come to me and be after me. His girl Friday. Or at least since that uh, a lot of men would be really, would find that really appealing. Yeah. And it's, you know. Films as a wish fulfillment sort of thing. Although you, you can't deny that in Chandler, that's what happens to. To Marlowe, to a to certain Marlo. extent. Yeah, it, it works. It, it, it fits, I suppose, in a sense. Maybe we'll talk about that. He's famous for a lot of manly camaraderie in his movies. So generally, the bromance, the sort of the affection is between men. It's John Wayne. You don't get that so much in The Big Sleep. But you don't get it at all in The Big Sleep. Yeah, you, know, you don't get it really at all in The Big Sleep. Nobody. Yeah, it's just, uh, but something like Rio, the, the Westerns especially, if you remember El Dorado, it's John Wayne and Robert Mitchum and whoever the old coot is in that particular one. And they're all just sort of, they love each other. And then there's some chick who's like after salivating over John Wayne, but that's her problem. It's really any affection John Wayne has that's going to be expressed is going to be for the dudes. So his movies are, are always about men on missions. His Girl Friday is uh, Cary Grant trying to, I don't know whether any of this is interesting, but I just happen to have all these dumb movie facts in my head. So this is where I get to get them out. Sorry, Brandon. It's interesting. Keep going. Uh, so You're on a roll. I'm on a roll. So like His Girl Friday, if you've seen that, Cary Grant's with his newspaper buddies. They're chasing the big story. Meanwhile, meanwhile, famous actress from the movie is kind of after Cary Grant, wants him to marry her, but he's, or no, she's in love with the other guy. I don't remember the plot, so screwy in that. Bringing up baby, Catherine Hepburn. She's aggressively going after Cary Grant. He's just some doofus in that movie. So Howard Hawks was pretty sophisticated as far as the way that- Rosalind Russell. Rosalind Russell, yes. One of my favorites. I can't believe I didn't remember her name. Auntie Mame herself. Love Rosalind Russell. Howard Hawks, he discovered, and I'll just, okay, the last bit of context I'll give because it's important to how you think about this movie and the, re- the whole reason I got into this in the first place. Howard Hawks saw Lauren Bacall on a Harper's Bazaar or some kind of magazine, decided that, I think he, the story is he told his secretary- we need to put in a call to this girl and talk to her. His secretary misunderstood him, thought that she was supposed to buy a ticket for Bacall to come to Hollywood. So through a clerical mistake, basically, Bacall ends up in Hollywood, has a screen test with Hawks. Hawks signs her to a contract, which is, this is way before Me Too, remember? So these powerful producer people should, could do that. So he's got basically this 19, 20-year-old ingenue. He rebuilds her as a human being. And this is where it gets creepy. And this is one of the reasons I have some problems with big sleep because I, it's a little painful for me to watch Bacall knowing that this is what happened. He just created her image. And actually, you know, you see her interviews and stuff later in life. She played to this persona on stage, off stage, the rest of her life. She played this character, which Howard Hawks and his assistant and other people created for her. In in her screen test, she was shy, so she looked down, and they decided that that was sexy. So she was told that she was going to look de- look down and look at people from underneath these kind of slanted eyes um, for the rest of her career, which is a move that you'll see her do through the big sleep. They decided that her voice should be an octave lower, so they had her shout Shakespeare all day, actually, to help her learn to articulate her words and to actually lower the octave of her voice because they decided that would be sexy and distinctive. And indeed, it was... You watch an old Bugs Bunny cartoon when Bugs Bunny does the things where he's parodying stars. Bacall was a very, with with Hepburn, with Bogart, with these, she was a very distinctive Hollywood presence because she had that deep voice and that certain delivery with the, and that sort of sardonic thing. But that was all created. And you can, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think you can kind of see it in the movie. You can see this sweet, like 20 year old girl who's been like, 
transformed into this weird Hollywood man's idea of what a sexy, sexually sophisticated woman should be. And she's doing all this really dirty innuendo with Bogart. And I don't know, I find it to be kind of off-putting. And I've always had that problem with Bacall. And knowing that story just kind of ruined Bacall for me. But the story is that they shot this movie before Bacall had become a big star, The Big Sleep. And so Chandler actually saw the movie. There's a letter of his where he says it was great. The sister was so great. Carmen was great. But he said, after I saw it, they changed it because Bacall became a big star. So they had to put in extra scenes with Bacall. They cut down the sister. He said the sister should have won an Oscar, but no one will ever know how good she was playing the the psychotic little sister because they had to beef up Bacall, who was actually kind of boring. And so there's all these weird scenes that stick out like sore thumbs, if you know Chandler, where Bacall and Bogart are having this cute, cuddly kind of interplay. To me, the one that popped the most was the was the phone call with the police station. Yeah, Bogart calls the It's completely out of character for the movie, for Chandler, for anything. I mean, it works. It basically works because there's chemistry between Bacall and Bogart. Right. And Bacall and Bogart liked each other. They got married. I think Bogart ran out on his wife. I don't remember whether Bacall ran out on her husband, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, <laughs> Howard Hawks was angry because Howard Hawks <laughs> wanted Bacall to himself. He was cultivating her Harvey Weinstein style. I mean, just there's nothing new in Hollywood, right? Howard Seriously, Hawk. that's what was going on? Yeah, Howard Hawks wanted Bacall, and he was angry at Bogart for basically, from his point of view, stealing her her out from under him. I mean, the, the nice part of the story is that I, then, I guess, Bacall and Bogart had a fairly happy marriage for the next, until Bogart died, they were together, for what that's worth. Um, Not much. Bacall <laughs> was on the set of The African Queen when Bogart was in Africa with John Houston and Catherine Hepburn shooting that movie. Bacall wrote a diary, which became a pretty famous book. Hmm. Yeah. It's a thing. Or no, Kepburn wrote a diary, but she talked about Bacall and she said Bacall was great. Bacall was on set. Bacall ended up being the faux medical unit and binding people's wounds and stuff on African Queen while they did this crazy shoot because she was there for Bogart. She brought him his liquor and all that stuff. They had a nice relationship after that, but it's pretty seedy how it all started. And I just think you can kind of tell, I think Bacall is really fake in the movie. I really don't like the scene where they talk about horses and it's dirtier than just about anything in modern movies or old movies or I don't know how even know how they got away with it. That scene is a recreation <laughs> of a scene in To Have and Have Not, which was the movie that came out and cemented Bacall's star- stardom and made them have to reshoot The Big Sleep, which was a scene where Bacall and Bogart had this really over-the-top innuendo with each other. It ends with the famous line, you know how to whistle, Steve, don't you? You put your lips together and blow, which, uh, yeah. So they basically were like, we've got to get more, another scene of Bogart and Bacall doing super dirty innuendo with each other. So they came up with this horse thing, and it's still like kind of like, I can't believe I'm watching this. So like, how did this fly under the Catholic censors? I don't know. And I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know if the censors were just worldly wise and willing to take a tip off you know take some money or on the side or whether they were that stupid or what shouldn't have all been that stupid right i don't think most people were that stupid because the line and is justly famous as being a i mean it's one of the most famous that scene is one of the most the horse racing scene is a famous innuendo in movies you know i mean it's famous as a precursor to all the james bond innuendos and everything you know <laughs> there's there's a dead bug on brandon's shoulder that's right jake got up and dusted off for me right So anyways, I guess that was just a long way of saying I like the movie insofar as it's a fun Bogart movie that includes a lot of Chandler's witty dialogue. I don't like the movie as an adaptation of Chandler. I think it sucks as an adaptation of Chandler. And I really think that the Bacall and Bogart stuff is off-putting, betrays Chandler, and I don't like it. So 
to putting those things together, I, kind of, I guess I kind of just don't like the movie. But on the other hand, I've seen it a billion times, and it's an enjoyable little movie, Bogart movie. So those are my thoughts. Sorry to blurt them all out like that. No, I think it was interesting. My thoughts are I've never seen a Bogart performance I don't like, mm-hmm. and so I never resent watching him on screen. I mean, that's really as deep as I get with it. You were commenting before we started on the sexiness of Bogart. <laughs> well, that's a dumb <clears throat> Nathan way of putting it, but yeah, well, I didn't grow up watching like classic movies or Humphrey Bogart movies. So uh, you, you look at a just a, a picture or the cheesy she- scenes, like we talked about this with a little bit with Sanity at the movies on Casablanca. Mm-hmm. You're downstream, you get the kind of parodied versions because they become cliches. He doesn't strike me, I'm not a woman, I don't know, but he doesn't strike me as a particularly handsome guy or whatever, a particularly compelling guy. But when you see him on screen, he's really cool mm-hmm. and commanding and he's got charisma and charm. And mm-hmm. it, what, 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 whatever it is he's doing, it, it it really works. <clears throat> it really works. He's really great. What is that quality? Because I think there's only one person I can compare it to, and it's like Humphrey Bogart was for the first half of the century, and then Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford was for the yeah. second half of the century. Yeah, and it's a little bit of John Wayne too. I think. Yeah, it's a certain it's a certain kind of roguish, principled, manly. He knows who he is, and he knows what he's about. There's no doubt in his mind about who he is and what he's about. He's got a code that he's going to live by. And you may not know what that code is, but he sure does. So everything feels principled in a in, in a way. But that's combined with, it, it's not a high-minded kind of principledness. It's a very worn and world-weary and wary and other W words kind of, kind of thing. And I don't know, it's just, it's cool. Yeah. Um, it's a cool vibe. He, he sees it like it is. He tells it like it is. And he somehow manages to still do the right thing most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't care if he offends you. But in the end, he's going to be the guy who saves the world. That's why Harrison Ford was such a natural choice to play the, is it Jack Ryan? Does he play Jack Ryan? Yeah, he played Jack Ryan for a couple of Patriot mm-hmm. game or whatever. It was a Patriot games, all those. Yeah, and Clearly Pleasant Danger. Yeah, Grim yeah. Pleasant Danger. Because he was, he's going to be the one that was going to even stand against the president if he had to. Mm-hmm. He was going to be the solid spine, but he would also be grumpy and... That's kind of who Harrison Ford has become in real life, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So flying airplanes in to save people and being a grouch in general. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to be the guy that's cynical. He's got that cynical air about him that you know he's a little above it all. He's the rogue with the heart of gold who's going to still come and do the right thing at whatever personal cost, whatever it requires of him. That That's the kind of role Bogart took. And that's the guy that he played. And, you know, that's Han Solo. That's, you know, Indiana Jones. That's John Wayne, similar sort of thing. And they all have this sort of loner vibe about them, too. Mm -hmm. That's just, for whatever reason, cool. And maybe Hollywood made it cool, or maybe it actually is cool. I think that's a good question. I think that that brand of hero and masculinity is a very American Hollywood thing. Trying to think back through a lot of stuff that we've read Mm -hmm. and the heroes that we've seen. Odysseus is kind of that way. Yeah, Odysseus is a bit that way. But he's sly and selfish, where Bogart and Ford are both sly, but they're not necessarily selfish. They're going to be self-sacrificing. Yes, that's that's the the big difference. Like, if you took... I mean, I think it it really is, it is, if you take the Odyssey and... Actually... And you you, dro- you drop Odysseus into a Christian context, and you have the wily, worldly, wise we, we've man had. on the street, but in order to actually be truly heroic, he has to be self-sacrificing instead of selfish. Mm-hmm. They've existed. I mean, I take this back. Sidney Carton is one. 
yeah. in Tell Two Cities. And uh, in terms of books we've read, I think Marlowe, not Marlowe from The Big Sleep, although he yeah. does fit the bill, but Marlowe from Heart of Darkness might be the closest. But what's the main character from Le Miserable? Uh, Jean Valjean. Yeah, he's one. Mm-hmm. So it's just a certain air of this masculinity, the outsider who is also the hero. That's yeah, the kind of guy that you would help Cal would grow into in East of Eden, although he wasn't yeah. there yet by the end of the novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think this is a theory I just came up with right now. Let me try it out. Let's see if you guys like it. Bogart and Ford both are special, maybe even a way, in a way that John Wayne isn't, but perhaps in a way that Jack Nicholson is, in that they are capable of simultaneously fully inhabiting the action and also wryly, sarcastically commenting on the action, standing outside of it. They're sort of meta or postmodern, or I don't know what dumb buzzword to use for it. But the thing about Harrison Ford is that every time Indiana Jones finds himself in another scrape, he just gives that little look to the camera like, oh, brother, I'm in another scrape. You know, there's something Mm -hmm. very likably acknowledging the trope about Indiana Jones. And I wonder if Bogart doesn't have some of that same quality of, yeah, I'm the all-American hero, but also you and me both are kind of in on the joke here. I don't know. I just came up with that. That might be a dumb. But I was trying to put my finger on what it is that makes me think of those two guys in particular as... Well, you've, you've argued before that that's actually a uniquely British characteristic. The ability to stand and look sideways at the material is something that, I mean, you've argued that in Star Wars, for goodness sake, about Ewan McGregor and what's his face? Old Obi-Wan. Old Obi-Wan. Uh, yeah. Oh, goodness. I actually don't remember oh, arguing that before about those, but now I wonder if it's not a uniquely American. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think, I mean, I think, I think you've articulated this idea before and I think you've argued i think what you might be able to do is pull it together with your british style of acting way of of thinking about things so i think you talked about it with hopkins too the ability to yeah, yeah that's true <clears throat> to just stand aside outside of the material while inhabiting the As character. opposed to a method actor like Daniel Day-Lewis, who's going to spend six months, you know, sewing dresses so he can play a dressmaker. The British actor is just going to act. A more stage style performance, mm. a more British stage style performance where you are yeah. acting. And there's, there's that quality in Bogart and there's that quality in Harrison Ford, too, of, hey, I'm here. I'm playing the part. Yeah. We all kind of know it. But wink, wink. But well, it's not it's not winky. It's just that's uh, there was a lot of that style of acting in early Hollywood in general. right? Mm-hmm. It was more exaggerated more theatrical because they hadn't learned or not even they, they hadn't learned it was just how the way that they acted they didn't really separate theater from the well, and nor should they have. that much they, yeah well they, the audience wasn't as sophisticated i mean not and, because and, they were well, dumb but because they just hadn't had as much time to learn both 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 audiences and movie makers needed to mature and understanding what the medium could do it's sort of like what we're seeing with podcasting now mm-hmm. you, you see a lot of shows out there that still adopt radio forms and and they're trying to play to both where they can be on on the radio and then a lot Mm -hmm. of other shows out out there that are saying hey we can actually do whatever we want this is on demand content we can go for you know we can have a show that's three hours long we can have a show that's five minutes long we can do really anything we want to do as long as it works let's explore and let's play with this and let's play with this medium and take full advantage of it. Well, people's expectations were still theatrical. But yeah, you see this figuring with... out what they could do, how subtle, how much more subtle they could be with a camera and with yeah. with microphones, you know, was was an art. And bringing, bringing uh, the audiences along was a, an all an art form. Yeah. yeah, you didn't have to have the rigid sort of over-the-top acting that you had with early cinema. You could get the later stuff that you'll get with Scorsese. When you were talking about uh, how dialogue-driven 
the oh his girl friday his girl friday well, his girl is, friday is a stage play it's the front page it was a very famous stage play they swapped out the genders of the rosalind russell character and beefed it up a little bit and made it into a movie but you can tell this is a stage play we're watching that's right and you in uh compare that to you know what we were talking about on sound of sanity with uh brad bird and iron, giant. iron giant you could play it as a silent film and still completely understand what's going on because he he's understand he knows exactly how to use each image each frame each shot to tell the story in a way that would never work on stage this is nothing unique to cinema either um if we ever get around to reading don quixote we'll see that that thing is weird yeah. it's not a novel like we think of a novel and yet it's considered to be the first novel but um, Cervantes with Don Quixote was doing something different. He stumbled into this new art form. He mm-hmm. created a new art form, a way of expressing and telling a story that was longer about one character. And that would become David Copperfield, which would become... Um, Ready Player One. Ugh, which would become, you know, Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Oh, is that what you wanted? Yeah, that's um, what I wanted. Yeah, it's funny to watch how this movie... It's, it's just fun to watch a movie as they're still figuring out the form. There's the, like this dumb dumb scene in this movie just a little snippet where bogart calls eddie mars on the phone and the movie has to show us yes hey eddie i'm coming over you mind if i show up at nine o'clock whatever it is and then we cut to not bogart walking into eddie mars office we cut to him outside the building walking into the building and then we cut to the inside like the lobby bogart walks through the lobby and then he gets to eddie mars anybody doing that movie now it would just be like he wouldn't tell Eddie Mars. We would just cut to him talking to Eddie Mars, and we would expect the audience to understand, gee, I guess Bogart made it to Eddie Mars' office because obviously he wanted to talk to Eddie Mars. That was the next step in the investigation. So now he's talking to Eddie. There's so much that we take for granted that you even, just have to even understand. Even the time he, they took to for him to put the coins in the slot. Yeah, we see him. talk to the operator. Yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. Hey, how long? How much will that be? Oh, that'll be fifty cents, sir. Paching. Give the Paching. audience time to calibrate and figure out what's yeah. going on here. Like, which is well, uh, we don't need that anymore, right? Which is how you can tell that cinema at this point was kind of immature. Because Casablanca has some of this stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, b- because the Big Sleep, the novel, didn't really do this at all. My impression of his storytelling style was Chandler just left you to guess quite a bit of what was going on. Yeah, Chandler doesn't care. I mean, um, Chandler's all about getting to the next cool scene i mean he doesn't yeah and he's all about marlo yeah and he's all about the way that this world shows you who marlo is and that really was my biggest disappointment with this movie and it's i'm not a big fan of these movements to say you have to have the grit mm-hmm. to show reality yeah. And so everything's gritty. Like, so Breaking Bad was like the last show that I had patience with that did this mm-hmm. because it was kind of the culmination of it all. Mm-hmm. And now everything else is just anti-heroes and yeah, the dark. anti-heroes and the grit mm-hmm. and the nastiness that you have with things like what was that famous, that, the guy who took over the Justice League stuff, oh, Zack exactly. Snyder. Yeah, yeah. He's the, whip, he's the whipping boy for this. Mm. Everything's dark and depressing and the world's dark and depressing. And I think you mean poster boy. He's the poster boy. That's right. He's and he's my whipping boy. He's the whipping boy for people who don't like it. He's right. the poster boy for people. They both work. <laughs> but the context. I just want you to like me, Jake. <laughs> I love you, Brandon. Just, I was trying to help you out. Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, so you have all this grit. You have all this grime. And it's really a postmodern way of looking at the world. The Dark Knight is one of the most famous examples of this, mm-hmm. where out of mm-hmm. the dark ashes, you have this sort of hero who's not really the hero like we think of a hero, mm. but the hero as we need the hero. All this bad way of thinking, this Dostoevsky. The hero as we deserve the yeah, hero. It's the we have skin, <laughs> yeah, it's the Dostoevsky and kid in his basement mm. way of thinking about, if I could just rub on some of this Cheeto dust off my shirt, I could go and be Batman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
So we have that. And I don't like that, but it's interesting because I don't think that's what Chandler is. I don't think that's what he was doing with The Big Sleep, but I think that the movie loses whatever he was doing by kind of sanitizing that version and then bringing in this weird horse <laughs> The movie is really just talk. ends up being about how Bogart and Bacall are cute together. I mean, it really yeah. is the equivalent of like a romantic comedy. And it's... and. If you like that, that's fine. I mean, if you like the horse scene, that's too bad. But if you just want to see some sexy stars, people have enjoyed Holly ever since Hollywood began. That's what it's been about is some sexy stars having chemistry together. That's fine. But it's not Chandler. Yeah, it's, it's not, not. It's well, yeah. it's as much Chandler as the new Hobbit movies are Tolkien. Yes. Right. Good metaphor, Brandon. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> good analogy. Good, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 ho. Ha, ha. Well, two points from that. Yeah. One, I do think Hollywood tends to do that. Mm. It sanitizes and then adds sex. Yeah, sure. As though sex, sex sleep was. As though sex is like the main ethics of, of our lives. Jake made the point, I think off mic, that as long as you have sex... Mm. In the story, then it's okay. Yeah. It's like, as long as you're getting sex out of it, then hey, it's fine. Even Casablanca is all about how we don't have sex in order to save the free world. If if not having sex with Ingrid Bergman yeah. is what saves the free world, then I guess I can't have sex with Ingrid Bergman. I mean, just think it's about the, how many... It's the one great thing to sacrifice, and it's the one thing uh, worth give it, giving up your scruples for. Right. Yeah. If, if however Bogart had to sacrifice an ideal at the end of Casablanca, that's not half as moving to everybody than... It, as having to sacrifice yeah. sex. I mean, just think yeah. about a movie that's... Just... If he's going to sacrifice his scruples in The Big Sleep, it better be for something great, a.k.a. sex. So he can be the guy in the saddle or whatever. Yeah, even um, a movie as sexless as like Castaway. Mm. The last big question of that movie is whether he's going to go back and try to woo the FedEx lady. Yeah, <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's just, it's it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It's in other stories too. It's in the great novels, whatever. Mm. But it's Hollywood really, mainstream Hollywood, I guess we should be fair. I, I'm sure you can think of lots of movies where this isn't the thing. Sure, but like it's- the straight story. That's yeah. not the thing, the straight yeah, story. No. It's really kind of not the thing with any David Lynch in a weird way. <laughs> Yeah, that well. You can watch I'm talking. Thing. I'm talking mainstream Hollywood. Mm-hmm. If you get the sex in there, then it's going to be okay for them. I'm yeah. not saying that personally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brandon Chastain says, <laughs> if you get the sex in there, it's going to be okay. Yeah, that's what I said, Nathan. <laughs> um, so there's that point to make. Mm-hmm. I guess the big question I have then is, why does the grit of of the big sleep seem like it helps the morals of that book? What's going on, and what is lost then? Because I think that would help me understand what's lost in the movie. Because the book is about a really seedy, nasty world, and Marla's the night white, the night white. Marla's the nightlight that walks through this world. The movie is about mm, pretty cool world with a bunch of sexy people that trade banter with each other, and Marlo's the coolest of those sexy people yeah. that trade. And banter everybody with each loves other. him, <laughs> and all the yeah, every chick and respects him. Can we talk for a second about that weird scene, that weird James Bond scene where he goes to the bookstore, and I'm pretty sure I don't know exactly what they were applying. I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it kind of no, no, seems no, no, like no, uh, no, no, no. She closes the shop. They go to the back. They have a drink. She lets down her hair and take uh, takes off her glasses. And so they, go to, read a, they go to read a book. To, then we fade to black. Yeah. And then, and then he's leaving. They read Ben Hur together. Yeah. First edition. That's what people do, right? Yeah. Every time my wife lets down her hair. I've been wanting she, to get married for go, so long. So I, I finally yeah. read Ben Hur with someone. And then there's, the, then there's the cab driver. What did and she say? Like, uh, she, he, she's like, Here, here's my car if you ever need uh, help again. And he says, anytime, day or night. And she says, night. I work days. Yeah. Something like that. Oh, to be Humphrey Bogart, I guess. Well, but even the, you know, even the police 
I mean, I'm sorry, I, uh, we're talking about the women falling all over him, but you know, this the easy relationship he has with the police ch- mm-hmm. chief or whatever, the even the easy respect uh, respectable relationship he has with Eddie Mars, everybody thinks Humphrey Bogart is cool in this movie. Yeah, nobody everybody likes Marlo. respects him. The whole point of a Marlowe novel is that every situation he walks into, the people are looking down on him, not trusting him, being rich, snotty, or punk slow lives but either whether it's coming from people who are beneath him or above him they all have disdain for him and it's about a guy that just does his best to keep his head above water in this world you don't get a sense of i mean what what in the book you get is everything is utterly corrupt there is an an irredeemably corrupt yeah the general cops are Marlo kind of likes him but the general is self-admittedly awful his daughters are are wild psychotic and it's not because they're inept it's because they're bought you know it's not because marlo is just ahead of them it's because they know what they want to see and they know what they don't want to see and marlo knows that it's not that they can't get eddie mars or anybody else it's that they're being bought off and paid off like everything feels really dark and futile and irredeemably corrupt in chandler and and that's supposed to be the black backdrop that you know marlo the little diamond in the rough is is shining up against and for better or for worse that's the romance of those books is wouldn't it be cool to be the guy that holding your head above water in this world that just wants you to drown and muck it is the same world as like heart of darkness yeah now i'm seeing it even better he is he's like the marlo there he's the guy who somehow has not been completely corrupted by this world and yet has to some try to make ethical decisions within it and so that explains the the ending of the novel, which it is. It's very much like Murder on the Orient Express. He chooses, yeah, or the ending of Heart yeah. of the last chapter of Heart of Darkness. Yeah, he chooses to let the person go. The, he chooses to let the murderers go. I didn't have the same qualms that I had with Murder on the Orient Express with this novel. I think it's because Chandler sets the world up so well that you just kind of feel like, you know what? Every moral decision. I mean, it's not right necessarily, but he does do a good job of evoking the feeling of, you know what? Every Everyone's corrupt. Every moral decision is compromised. Marlo's still holding his head up and doing the best job he can. By protecting these women. The guilty might get punished every once in a while and the innocent might go free, but the best Marlo can do is his best. And beyond that, what's there to really for us to worry about, you know? Yeah, because it's, yeah. You'd certainly rather, I mean- a large part of it is, wouldn't you rather have Marlowe be the guy making these decisions in this corrupt, than these cops godless that world than the, than the cops? Bought than by the, the Eddie Mars. And than the, the anybody else. Mm-hmm. Let, let's let, better to just leave things in Marlowe's hands than pretty much anything else. And, yeah. and obviously. Cut him some slack when he wants to let somebody off the hook. The counter argument is, how is that not just defending uh, vigilante anarchism? It is. Yeah. It's, it's Batman. It's yeah. Mad Max. But guys, yeah. let's be honest. We all like those stories. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying they should have. And I know I got in big trouble for defending the murder on the Orient. But in the imagined, but here's the thing: in the imagined world of these places, it is so corrupt that you can imagine somebody would be put in that place where they'd have to do that. In yeah. the world of Murder on the Orient Express, the problem was it wasn't that way. Yeah, I think Christie's yeah. just not as good of a writer yeah. as Chandler. Sorry, she Dan. tried to do it by having them be in the middle of Croatia or wherever it mm-hmm. was. But in the end, the book and the new movie don't work in the way that the Suchet. M- did work because it tried to add the crisis in that needed to be there for this moral person to be making the decision they were making. Mm-hmm. And then Chandler sets up his world so artfully that you really, unless you're talking about it on a podcast, I don't know that you question it all that much. No, and the only reason I'm questioning it is to get, to try and get at why it works there mm-hmm. when it doesn't work in this other place. And it has to do with the world he's built. 
what I like about the world Chandler builds and what I think is a helpful foil to the movie because the movie's sanitized. Mm-hmm. The movie doesn't have this. The movie's, he makes a decision at the end of the movie because he wants the girl. Right. He knows that he's going to, if he lets her sister off and helps her get some help, mm-hmm. then they're going to get to smoke cigarettes together. It's the equivalent of the the alternate ending that was pitched for Casablanca where Victor Laszlo dies, you know, in a hail of glorious self-sacrifice gunfire. And then Bogart gets to go off with Ingrid Bergman and the audience gets to have its cake and eat it too. And everybody gets to feel good. But the nobody remembers Casablanca is what I say if that happens, because you don't actually have self-sacrifice. And I don't think you have self-sacrifice in this version of The Big Sleep because Bogart basically just gets what he wants yeah. and mm-hmm. makes his choice because he wants what he wants. Nobody can be sad that it was pinned on Eddie Morris. He was a bad guy anyway. Right. Deserved what was coming to him. Yeah. Vivian's just trying to help her psychotic sister. They don't do any work of making the Vivian in the movie any more actually moral or likable than the Vivian in the story. Maybe the Vivian in the movie has a little more sympathy for her sister, but I don't think so. I think the Vivian in the movie is just more charming and played by a hot young thing at the time. And that's the reason that we're supposed to like her better than the Vivian in the book, because it's really the same conceit the same spoiled heiress kind of a character eh, she was gonna go to jail for her sister if it came to it in the book and the movie or just no the, just in the movie yeah i guess she's a little bit nicer to her they sister. give, they give her a, a, just a couple more moments where she's clearly the big sister is looking out for her and she's in on it with eddie mars and is making it all and if it comes to it she's gonna be the one who confesses to killing what's his face right they try to make it track more than in the way that they it needs to. Yeah, and I guess, you know, again, if you're just looking for a, some hot Hollywood stars doing their thing, I guess it tracks well enough, but it's it's not my Marlowe, that's for sure. Is there anything else to say about this? William Faulkner's name is in the credits. He did do some work on it. They didn't keep any of his work. He was probably halfway crawled into a bottle at the time, just like William Faulkner usually was. William Faulkner did not have a good Hollywood career. Neither did Raymond Chandler, although Raymond Chandler did manage to produce one more classic than William Faulkner ever managed to do, which is Double Indemnity. Great screenplay by Chandler. Blue Dahlia, actually very good screenplay by Chandler. And such a popular movie that when a woman was murdered in Hollywood, the press called her the Black Dahlia. So Chandler actually... Uh, invented the title of something that would go on in folklore as the Black Dahlia. Isn't that interesting, folks? But the larger point is that Faulkner didn't do anything. His name, everyone assumes that Faulkner, because it's Faulkner and then it's a woman, I believe, named Leigh Brackett, and everybody assumes that Faulkner wrote all the good stuff. But actually, a lot of the best lines are from Chandler. And then Leigh Brackett, I think, wrote the other tough guy, kind of the woman actually wrote all the other stuff um, that was any good. And Faulkner was useless but got his name on the script because he probably wrote the horse metaphor <laughs> i don't think he did i don't think uh, I'd, I'd love to pin that on him just to add to his list of booking crimes uh, he has but some he has some pretty nasty stuff he said yeah i wouldn't put the horse metaphor past him man that horse metaphor not a fan of that that's like the solo robot of this movie i don't know anything else to say about the big sleep jake no did you like the cinematography sure the correct answer is it wasn't as exciting as one would expect for a film noir. There weren't lots of cool slanty shadows and yeah, stuff. And, I, yeah, I was, you put it that way. Uh, I, would, I didn't get what I was expecting. 
it wasn't very noir in the way that I yeah. was hoping it would be. And the thing to point out about that, I guess, if people want more movie trivia, noir was a term that came about after the fact. It was some hoity-toity French people deciding that they were going to classify some low-budget crime movies that were made back in the day as a genre. So it's not like anybody was ever back in the 40s and 50s trying to make noir films or trying to follow certain formulas. They were just making movies. And later on, we decided that they had these things. So a movie like The Big Sleep doesn't fit all the Norse. It has it has a happy ending. It's got a hero. And it's got fairly brightly lit, standardly lit photography, all of which are not noir tropes. And yet, it's kind of a noir because it's got a detective and a femme fatale and all that good stuff. Brendan, do you give the Big Sleep, the coveted L-S-O-A? Uh, I feel like Humphrey Bogart movies, you'd like this. Yeah. If and you like do Humphrey not Bogart like movies. Humphrey Bogart, then there's absolutely no reason to watch this movie. Yeah. Do you guys agree with me that Lauren Bacall is pretty lame in this? Or did you like her? Because she's famous for this movie. People love the chemistry between those two. Huh. Oh, she was fine. Not she my strike me as lame. But... Yeah. Sorry, Nathan. I didn't like I don't like her makeup, that slash across her lips that passes for make off. Everything about her is hard edged and weird and put on, and I just don't care for it. I don't care for it, Brandon. Well, Good, Nathan. If she walked in this room right now and threw herself at me, I wouldn't marry her. Wow. That's how much I'm, she's like. Sounds like you're a good Christian guy then. Yeah. Which we already knew, Nathan. Exactly. I give you the looking seal of approval. <laughs> All right. Jake, do you give it, so you give it for Humphrey Bogart fans only. Yeah. Are you, would you consider yourself a Humphrey Bogart fan and give yourself, give. I mean, yeah, we didn't do any baggage here, but. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. No, I don't think we ever do on these, but yeah, I'm a Humphrey Bogart fan. Where would you rank this in the Humphrey Bogart movies you've seen? What's your favorite Humphrey Bogart movie? African Queen. African Queen. And where would this rank? Uh, I like this. I like the Maltese Falcon better. Yeah, this is middling Bogart. Yeah. I'd say. Maltese Oh, well, Casablanca is probably my favorite Bogart. I yeah. take that back. That is the correct answer, but I wasn't yeah. going to call you on it. Um, I always forget that's him. Yeah. It's well, weird. It's like his most famous and also a somewhat atypical yeah. role for him, maybe. So I think, I think where it goes with him would probably be Casablanca, African Queen. Maybe then Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This movie, Big Sleep, feels more like they were trying to capture the vibe of Maltese Falcon than they were tra- trying to capture the vibe of Chandler. Jake, your thoughts? LOSOA, Bogart, Baggage. Humphrey Bogart's really cool. If you think he's really cool and you like seeing him on screen and have some nostalgia for that sort of retro solo masculinity stuff, this will scratch you where you itch and uh, otherwise... Life is short. Life is short. Life is short. And this movie is almost two hours long. Pretty soon we'll all be sleeping the big sleep. Yes. I'm trying to remember. There was somebody that famously thought that Chandler was just using an idiom and and treated it that way and made a movie or wrote a book where they just treated the big sleep like, like it was something that Americans always said. And Chandler had to tell them like some French guy or something like, no, we don't. That's not a, that's not a phrase. That's, I made that up. But somebody really famous, like a famous novelist or I don't know, or filmmaker. Uh, guys, yeah. how would you feel if we did some donor shout outs? Let's do it. Someone, our good friend Kelly, tweeted at us today and she said, donor shout outs, laughy smiley face with tears coming out of it. Laughy smiley face with tears coming out of it. Laughy smiley face with tears out of it. There are three of them. Whoa. She likes that. She, she likes appreciated that. Is this our good friend it's Kelly? Easy. Yeah. Kelly's great. She should get a shout out, right? Just for being great. Hey, Kelly. Yeah. Hi, Kelly. Should pay us $10, Kelly. You could make the shout outs a little longer. <laughs> you like them so much. This is what yeah. a great listener and friend of the podcast gets. All right, guys, let's do some donor shout outs. This, of course, is part of the show where we shout out our donors who sign in for, oh, Brandon just snapped twice, wiped out 100% of the world's population. We're gone. Let's We're go gone. home. 
<laughs> Brandon, as we've established, he's a purple space alien. He's got an infinite gauntlet every time he snaps. <sighs> wipes out the world. Yeah, population. I mean, I can never really get into like a gospel. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the pain. People, people are just starting to evaporate in front of me. Like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> One of the problems with being Thanos, yeah. you can't join a gospel quartet. <laughs> uh, how are we going to do donor shout outs? I know who I'm not going to ask, Jake. He's proved to be very unhelpful in the donor shout out. He did that thing where he was like, do it exactly normal, but a little bit different. <laughs> and then I submit to you that Jake didn't actually do anything different. He just trolled and just made a mockery <laughs> of everything you just couldn't tell. The donor shout-out stood you for. You have no subtlety. It was just so <laughs> subtle. Here, riddle me this, or answer me this riddle, would be a better way of saying that. Is this something that I, in the audio editing, will be able to catch, or should have been able to catch when I audio edited that episode already? That's for you to find out. What are these little creatures? Um, a couple. Because if it was just like, you usually chip back in your chair, but now you weren't <laughs> tipped back in your chair or something, that's pretty weak sauce, I must say. Oh, no, you should, you should, you should be able to tell. Anybody who's a, who's a close listener should be able to tell what I was doing. A $100 prize. <laughs> Will you give someone $100 if they can figure it out? Every single variation? Yeah, if you could tell me exactly what I was doing differently from what I would normally do. <laughs> we'll give you $100. You will give them $100. $10. Yeah. $10. $10. $10 is safer. Because somebody might do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not going to have Jake call it because he made a mockery. Our, our donors pay good money and, and, and does Jake mm-hmm. care? No, he doesn't. He makes a mockery of the whole system. Brandon. Hey. You're a purple space monster. Hey. You probably want to do it. I'll give you a shot. Now, don't be like Jake. Oh. Jake is like Gal- Goofus in the Goofus and Gallant cartoons from Highlights Magazine. And so I need to be like Gallant. You want to be like Gallant. I'll just cut you to the chase there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. There used to be this cartoon in Highlights Magazine where you'd have Goofus and Gallant and it'd be like, Gallant throws nails at old ladies. Well, let's just do that. Let's just say. No, no. False. Incorrect. Goofus throws nails let's at Let's say, old don't ladies. be like Goofus. He spills his milk when he eats his cereal. Be like Jane and Katie the Lovebirds. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fine. I feel like Brandon might be making a mockery, folks. Let's see how this works. All right. <laughs> Do it as a moral truism. Don't be like Goofus. I think it can just be a general moral truism. Each of our listeners is going to have a moral truism, as given by the great Brandon Chastain himself. Scholar who's a baller. By the way, I don't think I've even introduced us. You're the scholar who's a baller of reading. You're the pastor who's a master. That'd be Jake, folks. Brandon would be the scholar who's a baller. I, humble, obedient host, agent, provocateur. You know me. Deeply irritating host. Um, Moral truism for each listener, guys. You ready for this? Oh, boy. Dun, Let's dun, dun. go with Professor X, Brandon, and Mrs. X. A moral truism. Moral truism. A moral truism. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the goofus idea. I can't do this. You can do it as a goofus idea. Oh, can so, I? Yeah, yeah, that's a moral truism. Don't be like goofus. He sleeps until 2 p.m. and then goes to bed at noon. Be like Professor X and his lovely wife, Mrs. X. Good job. What, on, what am I supposed to do? Chip, chip. Er, sorry. <laughs> I don't know where we are in the process. What are you doing? Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds. Don't be like Brandon, who comes up with whack moral truisms. Be like Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Grown. Whoa. All right, Brandon. See if you, your moral tru- next moral truism may in fact be revenge is a it's dish be a best flame served war cold. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to make this interesting. All right. Nathan, not me. 
Don't be like Jake who hurts his friend's feelings. <laughs> be like Nathan, not me. <laughs> we don't know. Nathan, not me, might hurt his feelings. Uh, That's true. Jake, uh, Benny, and Dana Tiberius. Don't be a whiner who complains about his feelings being hurt like Brandon. Be like Benny and Dana, Danny. Be like Benny and Dana T. Brandon? Yeah. Now you can choose to be the bigger man or you can choose to lob a grenade at Jake. Uh-huh. Those would be your choices. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't care what you do. Okay. But I know you've got one of our favorites. Yeah. One of the, an old an old reliable classic standby. Uh-huh. Jane Katie who are cold and love cheese. Jane Katie who are cold. Don't be like someone who thinks he's cool because he can grow a beard. <laughs> be like Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh Jake, you've got our another old reliable favorite. Don't let your jealousy seep out in passive aggression like Brandon. Be like Maya. <laughs> Maya's never once grown a beard. <laughs> uh, Brandon, you've got my beloved Mother Beth. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I think it's your turn, Nathan. <laughs> I'm staying out of this one. I got to collect my thoughts over here. <laughs> we can let Jake do it again, but I'm a little scared what might happen. Yeah, yeah let Jake do it again. All right. All right. No, 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 no. No, it's my yeah. turn. All right. Yeah. All right. Turn the leaf. Turn mm-hmm. the leaf. Don't. Turn, turn the leaf. That's the yeah. saying. Turn the leaf. <laughs> Hold on that horse's tail till it rots. Yeah. <laughs> Hold that horse's tail till it rots and turn I'm that not leaf. good at metaphors. Turn, turn I think we've leaf. established that. Flip the tables. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't. Don't. Just don't. When you find yourself in a situation where, Just someone, don't. where someone's mocking you who has a virile beard, you got to turn that leaf. Yeah, you got to turn that leaf. <laughs> and don't. I mean, yeah, so he played sports in high school. Yeah. And you didn't. So you have went to a classical school. Yeah, whatever. So be like Nathan's mom. Oh, no. <laughs> I have no be idea. Be like her. <laughs> okay, great moral truism. Uh, <laughs> Brandon's having a breakdown over there. <laughs> now, Jake, maybe you can turn the leaf and save poor Brandon from his mental breakdown. Let that horse go. <laughs> You've got one of our new favorites. David's Mighty Men Transport. <clears throat> Be smooth and coherent like the rides that David's Mighty Men Transport gives to all their cargo, and not like Brandon. Oh, <laughs> like I'm not going to stab you? Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> uh, Brandon, you've got John and Jill, little baby Max. Little baby Max. Brandon's so innocent, dead right now. So innocent, not realizing that life will one day bring a friend into his life who will then stab him in the back and just laugh <laughs> and laugh and laugh. And oh yeah, his parents are... Jill and John, congratulations. <laughs> Be like them. <laughs> this is like a repeat of the Ready Player One Part Two trial episode. I'm an impartial judge, though. Um, you've you? got Robert and Rhonda. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> no love hey, Robert and Rhonda, don't be a whiny existentialist mass of humanity like your son. <laughs> No, wait, that's not what I was supposed to say. <laughs> Don't be a whiny. Did you say mass of existentialist or massive existentialist? <laughs> and if words. so, did you mean he was really existential or did you mean he was a big fat fatso who actually happened to, was also existential? <laughs> It's a really big existentialist. He's really really into existentialism. (laughs) Clearly what I meant. Still unclear. (laughs) Don't be like him. Be like Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Okay, Robert and Rhonda, be like yourselves. (laughs) Don't be like your son. No, I'm not telling them. I'm telling the listeners to be like Robert and Rhonda. Brennan, you've got the inscrutable Jenny Z. Jenny Z. Some things are inscrutable. Like, you know... (laughs) 
thinking you know somebody and then <laughs> not realizing you don't know them all that well. And you're trying to hold things together. You got that horse and it's just, the horse is just gone. It's just the tail in your hand now, mm-hmm. man. And life is that way. Hi. Great to have you. Be like Jenny. <laughs> I feel sorry for our, the patrons that get dispirited, broken Brandon. All right. Jake, you've got Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and little baby Timothy. Don't continue wallowing in self-pitying despair. Be like Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. Okay, fair enough. Brandon, you're... Oh, no, you're not. We're, we're two away. You've got one of our another one of our new favorites, Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Mm-hmm. That's a nice song. Sounds mm-hmm. like a nice song. Mm-hmm. A nice song that could, like, s- sing you to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Is your... Yeah. We hey, Lily. Great moral truth. Lily of the Valley. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> All right. I don't know about this, guys. I don't know about this donor shout-outs. Jake, you're going to bring it all home for us. This yeah. better be the moral truism to end all moral truisms. Yeah. Got uh, Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Don't give up on life like Brandon was tempted to do. Be like Brandon all the time. Captain Awesome, the guy that everybody loves on the booking. Also, be like Jim and Annie. Yay! 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 That was I all tried. I, tr- I tried. That was I'm fun. sorry. What do you think, Brandon? Have you been brought back from the depths of despair? I've been brought back from the depths of despair. I love you, Brandon. I love you, Jake. The Wiggling Day was written and produced... By me. Executive produced by Jacob Me. Featured the great Brandon Chastine. The great Jake Menzel. The great Nathan Alberson. The great no, I wasn't pausing so that you would say that. I was pausing because I was worried that you guys aren't friends. I think our listeners might need to see Jake and Brandon shake hands or They can't see us. They might need to hear the sound effect of you guys shaking hands or they'll be afraid that <laughs> the listeners don't want to have mommy and daddy fighting. We can't end the episode like that. Oh, I think the listeners know we're not fighting. I don't think, I don't know. What do you want us to do? Best friends forever? BFFs. Forever. All right, uh, Jake, what would you do if you had lots of money to burn and you wanted to give it to the booking? I would go to patreon.com forward slash the booking and I'd give it all. Brennan, what would you do? If I had lots of money to give to the booking? Mm-hmm. How much money were we talking? Mm, million dollars. Okay, I go to the booking. If it was a million dollars, I would go to warhornmedia.com forward slash give. If it was a million dollars, I might just get donation. Jake's phone number and talk to him first. And talk to me, yeah. We, Jake might we, even pull some accountants and people into the mix. And Yeah, if you got a million dollars to give to the booking, give me a call. I'd be very happy to talk to you and work out something. Right, because it doesn't all need to go to the booking. No, it all has to go to the booking. Oh, wow. I We can find a way to make it all go to the booking. Yeah. If you have a million dollars to give to Warhorn Media, we do not want it. We don't need it. And we're offended that you suggested it. If you have a million dollars to give to the booking, we'll take it. <laughs> uh, That's a lie. That's uh, a joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Folks, that was false information. That was fake news, as I like to say. Fake Somebody's news. checkbook just shut. <laughs> Someone was like about to give Warhorn. Well, <laughs> guess I'll give this to somebody else. No, no, no. Don't, don't give it to... Who are they going to give it to? Give it to Warhorn Media. I'm just kidding, folks. I'm saying the opposite of what I believe. Hey, thanks for listening, Brandon. Hey, thanks for talking, Nathan. Thanks for listening, Jake. Yep, glad to listen to myself talk. Thanks for listening, listener. Let's say thanks for listening, listener, together on the count of three. Three. Thanks Thanks for for listening, listening, listener. listener. Jake didn't do it. I got confused. That's all right. You know, I always hate 
Whenever when people say on the count of three, I want them to go one, two, three, and I always hate when somebody goes three, two, one. But you just said three. I know. I tried to split the difference. I was I did it just for yeah, you. Yeah, it was very confusing. All right, let me try it again. We'll do one, two, three, and then there won't be a go or anything after three. Three is like thanks for listening. All right. Yeah, yeah. One, two, three. Thanks, thanks for listening, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good ending. Let's do some more donor shout outs. <laughs> <laughs>